the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, it's that time of the month again where we talk to our state representative, Dave Greenspan, to fill us in on what's going on in Columbus. Dave Greenspan, thank you for joining us, as always. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on and and share a little bit about what we're doing in Columbus and what we're doing back here in the district. Sure. Well, this is August, and uh, it's uh, summer for everyone else, but uh, what has been going on with you and the state legislature? Well, the the legislature right now is, is... formally in recess, meaning that we don't have any uh, session dates or committee hearings that are currently scheduled. That doesn't mean we cannot be called back as we were called back uh, last month uh, to concur on some Senate bills. But right now, uh, with that being said, it doesn't mean that the work stops. It just means that the committee the committee hearings and the legislative uh, sessions are not occurring. But uh, a number of us are working on, on various bills that we're, we've been working on uh, throughout this General Assembly, I actually introduced a new bill uh, in the past month. The Speaker asked me to uh, be the House point person on the gaming uh, issue uh, that may occur in the state of Ohio. If you remember a few months ago, the U.S. Supreme Court allowed uh, gaming, sportsbook gaming, uh, permissive in all 50 states. And so um, myself and Senator Eklund in the Senate, Senator O'Brien, are working on two bills. They're identical bills, um, very small right now. They're fundamentally placeholder bills so that we can learn more and become more educated and informed about the uh, about the issue of gaming and how we might be able to introduce a sensible piece of legislation here in the future. Uh, neither the Senate nor the House has a timeline as to when uh, or if, uh, for that matter, a gaming bill will be introduced. Mm-hmm. What we've agreed to between the Senate and uh, between the senators and myself is that when we do introduce a piece of legislation, if we do, it will be uh, very comprehensive and one that, that uh, will benefit all Ohioans while at the same time providing you know consumer protections and, and safeguards and guardrails for those who might have uh, gambling addictions. You know, all the things that you would anticipate when mm-hmm. you're talking about introducing gaming in, into the state of Ohio. When we talk about sports so, gaming, we're talking about uh, allowing betting on the outcomes of uh, like football games, baseball games, basketball games, that kind of thing? Correct, correct. What, College what are, and pro, it, it, it spans the whole gamut of, of yeah. and, and the way, and I, I've, I've been reading, four states currently have enacted legislation, obviously, Nevada and New Jersey, between between Las Vegas and Atlantic City. But also uh, recently, Delaware and Pennsylvania have introduced legislation, and the legislation primarily focuses on professional and amateur sports, uh, sporting events, amateurs, I, I meaning primarily focusing on college sporting events, um, and the ability to place a wager on those activities. But as we're learning more about the 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 options out there to bet, it's becoming it's it, it's very interesting as to some of the activities that um, that folks wish to bet on, and, and, and that's one of the processes that we will really? go through. Really? What's, what's, uh, what's the most unusual uh, sports betting that you've been seeing so far? Well, it, it's interesting. So, so there are eSports. eSports are not pro- professional or college teams. These are fundamentally individuals who compete uh, as a team against other teams. And so... There, there's a very unique situation in professional sports where the professional teams actually have an esports team, but those esports teams are not affiliated with the professional team necessarily. It's not you know, it's like the, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers have an esports team, but it's not owned, managed, or run by the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
it's almost like a sub uh, there's like a sub market out there where these I'll call them quote unquote franchises are are effectively bought and sold and they have their own draft and they recruit players and the the Cleveland Cavaliers esports team may play against the Dallas Mavericks esports team and there's wagering that happens but these are fundamentally professional e-gamers and uh, so that's one of the interesting wow. is that is that know, akin is that akin to uh, like fantasy football or fantasy baseball where uh, no, they no, create these no, teams no because in those fantasy leagues you're effectively drafting professional sports players to be on your team and based on their performance is how well your team performs no this would be like nick you and me um forming a or, or putting together a cleveland cavaliers esports basketball team and you and i would play two people from say dallas or los angeles or chicago or wherever oklahoma city where there would be two private citizens who happen to be good at at that you know nba 2019 and they're competing against one another in a league and um there's wagering that takes place on these individuals uh, abilities so you and so i'm clear about this these are basically wagering on people who are playing video games correct that's amazing <laughs> maybe if i stated it that way it would have been easier to but yes that's exactly what it is you're you're effectively wow. wagering on individuals ability to compete in a, in a basketball in, a, in an online esports arena well yeah. some some other sports that i've seen on on cable that are out there that i'd wonder if, if people can do this they, they have uh, indoor drone racing i don't know if you've seen that they'll take a stadium and, and fly drones through them racing each other uh, NASCAR. I've not seen that. Yeah, NASCAR. I saw an ESPN one time. Beside NASCAR, I saw cornhole national championships where they play that game where they toss beanbags into a yeah. board. Uh, the P- PGA, yeah. which is a, a pretty sophisticated golf sport, so I can see people betting on that. And then uh, we talked about fantasy sports. Uh, what are the pros and cons so far about allowing sports gaming here in in Ohio? And uh, beside, I know a pro would be it would raise money for the state. But what about some of the cons, especially like getting um, the amateur college basketball or well, college sports involved in, in that? So there almost seems to be a moral issue with using college kids to make money for gamblers. Well, so, so let, I, you know, different, different states have set different um, stru- fee structures in place. And, and this is not going to be a from from a revenue perspective to the state this is not going to be a major revenue producer for the state regardless of the size of the of the amount of wagering that occurs um so this is not going to be you know something that's going to fill you know budget shortfalls or mm-hmm. provide massive amounts of of funding for, for for anything the the purpose here is is now that it's been made legal for ohio to compete against other states. Pennsylvania has enacted, as I said, has enacted legislation. Their legislation is very onerous, and um, it, it is so onerous that no one or very few people have even applied for a license in the state of Pennsylvania because it's just it's, it's too costly and the, the uh, margins aren't there for the operators. The primary focus of what, what, of what this bill is intended to do and I think we'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that that uh, sports gaming was occurring in Ohio. I.e., you know, you always hear about you know the bookies and so forth who are operating in the shadows. This would provide um, an opportunity for the activity to be legalized. There would be consumer protections in place uh, to ensure that while this activity is taking place, the activity itself is regulated uh, to protect the consumer. Um, and also, it very well may provide some additional resources for those who are dealing with gambling addiction issues to help them become, um, you know, to get some of the treatment that they may need. But these are all issues we're, we're, we're ferreting out right now. But I, once again, the important thing is, number one, this is not meant or intended to be in any way a money grab for the state of Ohio. What it really is intended to do, pursuant to the U.S. Supreme Court, is to bring this activity out of the shadows and put some structure behind it to ensure that that if you participate in a in a in a sports gaming activity and you, that you are are properly protected 
Well, we're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan concerning uh, what's going on in Columbus. Uh, we just uh, were talking about sports gaming and some legislation there. Uh, Dave, we have about another minute before we take a break. What uh, are some of the other topics that we need to talk about tonight? Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, over the past month uh, and coming out of the last General Assembly, the governor has signed three bills into law that I, that I introduced. And uh, we actually had our first official bill signing uh, with the governor two weeks ago. And uh, so that's pretty exciting, uh, you know, to have to bring a bill from concept through to law. Uh, is is obviously very rewarding in itself, and and most of my and we, we'll talk when we come back about the two pieces of legislation. But you'll what we'll find is is where my focus has been is on local governments and providing protections and resources for them to be more successful, as they in my, in my view are where the quality of our of our state is derived from the quality of our local communities and our local partners. Well, that's all about uh, local government, and it's the closest government to us here as we live in our, our cities and uh, townships around the state of Ohio here. But we're talking to State Dep- state Representative Dave Greenspan, who kindly comes on every month here to update us on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back again with uh, Dave Greenspan to find out what else is going on in Ohio. So we'll take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the advocate of Ohio. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. 50 cards, 50 questions. Hello, Mark Bush for just a conversation with you. Learn more about your loved ones by having the talk of a lifetime at your next family gathering. The deck of cards is offered free by Bush Funeral and Crematory Services. Request a deck of cards at bushcares.com backslash cards. 50 cards, 50 questions that will help you learn more about your loved ones. At Bush, we help families share memories. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And tonight, our guest is State Representative Dave Greenspan, and we're talking about what's going on in uh, the city of Columbus and the state of Ohio. Uh, Dave, as always, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Uh, you mentioned you had three bills that were signed in, and you uh, you know sort of yeah. caps the legislative process where you come up with a, a thought, identify a need, draft legislation, and push it through uh, both chambers and uh, finally have the governor sign it into law. Uh, if you don't mind, if you can just sort of summarize very quickly the uh, the three yeah. three laws that uh, are the Greenspan laws. Yeah, thank you. I'm the, calling uh, it. The, 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 uh, yeah, I've been very, very fortunate uh, this General Assembly. We've introduced 15 bills and two resolutions. Uh, of that, uh, 13 of the 17 uh, have um, – have left the House and have gone over to the Senate. Uh, and of the of the ones that have gone to the Senate, three of them have actually made their way to the governor's desk, and the others, obviously, we're still working on. Uh, the uh, the first bill, which actually was enacted, went into law August 1st, is an investment bill which gives our communities, I believe we talked about this in the past, yes, gives we our have. communities greater investment flexibility, and where I see the, the a great opportunity here is for local school boards who are sitting on on bond debt and, and under my bill and, and the bill that's currently in law now which is house bill 251 in the 132nd general assembly what it basically does it gives greater investment opportunities for for communities um to borrow from other political subdivisions so to give you an example cuyahoga county is sitting on over 100 million dollars in its investment portfolio available for other political subdivisions, among other things, to to uh, take advantage of. So I know you're on a school board. If your school board has a, say, a twenty million dollar bond that's under ten years in maturity, and uh, you're paying say eight percent or seven percent interest, and the county is willing to offer you a, a to, to purchase your debt, retire your current debt, take a note with them at three uh, percent, you're saving as a school district significant amounts of money on the interest and the county in turn is making more money than it's currently making in its in, in its in, in its investment portfolio so i that bill just went into effect at the beginning of this month um it was signed uh, 90 days ago it takes 90 days for a bill to be effective and um, we're hoping to see great things out of that bill but that just demonstrates my focus and having served at the municipal and county level to understand the challenges that our communities face especially when it comes to debt and uh, and debt service and how having a, a, a method in which to demonstrate that debt service can be managed properly helps each political subdivision's ability to lower their, uh, their, their uh, interest rates and increase their, debt, their uh, bond rating. Mm-hmm. So this, I believe, is a responsible piece of legislation. And, and obviously the proof's in the pudding. I'd, I'd like to see, obviously, as many cities, counties, villages, townships, school districts, libraries, whomever qualifies for this bill, take advantage of, of the of the benefit oh my well yeah although the topic sounds uh, a little dry with regard to debt the impact of, of this legislation if uh, governmental agencies take advantage of it can be uh, literally spectacular We're talking about uh, oh, yeah. millions of dollars and a five percent savings on interest per year is significant well and, and, and the, 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 the advantage of this is and I'll give you a prime example to Cuyahoga County Cuyahoga County right now is self-funding the Huntington Park garage pro, you know, renovation project, which was a, which is a $22 million project. The county, instead of going out to the bond market, effectively is loaning itself money out of its investment portfolio. So where the, uh, the obvious initial thought is, okay, we're saving interest expense because we're, we're charging ourselves effectively less interest. But where the, where the greater opportunity, or we're not greater, but where a large opportunity here is, the county no longer for that purpose, or the county did not have to for that purpose, go to the bond market, which saved about half a million dollars in bond origination costs, which are purely expenses. And often those expenses get rolled into the debt service. So now not only do you have an expense where you have no, no cash flow going towards the actual project itself, but you also are paying interest on top of it. So it, it compounds itself favorably for this bill to be enacted because Conica County saved half a million dollars in bond origination costs, the interest on that cost, and the interest going forward on the principal part of the loan. 
So it, it has a tremendous opportunity. You're right. Is this something that's very, you know, that energizes and motivates most people? No. But if you're sitting there and you're on a school board, as an example, or you're involved in your local schools and you're wondering how is it that we can maximize our, our, our taxpayer-supported activities, you know, revenue, well, one of the great ways to do it is to reduce your expenses, and this provides an opportunity to do just that. So I'm excited about that bill. That was my first bill. Uh, the second bill that, um, and I'll stay on, on the finance route, the second bill is is um, a bill that Representative Schering and I out of uh, Canton area worked on with Auditor Yost, and this bill provides uh, protections to counties, villages, cities, and townships, and all political subdivisions as it relates to the use of credit cards. And once again, may sound like a dry subject, but uh, right now, as, as the auditor will tell you, uh, 10% of, of the political subdivisions in the state do not have any credit card um, policies at all. And believe it or not, some are still using debit cards. And so if you can imagine if you've got some, some misuse of, of public funds and you're using a debit card, that money is immediately coming out of your bank account. There's no room for dispute. So uh, this bill eliminates the use of debit cards but puts, puts some guidelines in place as to how credit cards are to be used. And one might think, well, in a traditional environment in your business, you know, you would go through proper approvals. When some of our smaller communities, there aren't large staffs to have independent checks and balances internally to manage the, the controls. So this bill draws in some boards and, and some review authority and sets some guidelines in place. But to give you an example, um, and the most egregious, egregious example is in the village of Mount Sterling, where they had a, a public official, not an elected official, but an employee who over a period of time was able to rack up over $750,000 worth of credit card debt for personal use. And some of it was buying a, a car for himself, and I believe for his girlfriend, not his wife, jewelry, trips, clothes, meals, you know, you name it was racking this up and what's happened is 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 there were no controls in place and the village is now in a state of, of financial distress because they don't have the wherewithal to pay back the debt and this gentleman although he's in jail now up to 10 years uh and and they're trying to claw back and get restitution there's no way that he has seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of assets to go against the uh the the illegal activity and just last week Two weeks ago, there was an article where a a, uh, a law enforcement officer did the same thing. Now, not to that magnitude. His, I don't believe his his use of the misuse of the credit card debt went above ten thousand dollars. But once again, you had somebody in law enforcement, you had a public official who was misusing credit cards, and there were no controls or procedures in place along the way to provide checks and balances to make sure that every authorized every transaction was authorized. So that bill uh, was signed into law. Um, it was voted out the end of June, so it'll go into effect around in, in September. Once again, it takes 90 days unless we put an emergency provision, which we did not on these two bills. And um, and that will have an impact as well as to provide financial accountability to um, to our taxpayers and to our residents. And the last bill that, that – or the third bill, I should say. We have many more. But the third bill is a bill that Representative John Barnes of Cleveland and I worked on together. House Bill 336, and that bill is the suspended driver's license reinstatement bill. Um, basically, what we're doing, and, and this is kind of a staggering statistic, but but there are roughly 8 million driver's licenses issued in Ohio. Nearly one out of 1 million out of the 8 million are suspended. And the average suspension has at least three suspended um, provisions against against their license. And what's happening is is that is that these individuals, and the way the bill is written, uh, must meet all of their court-ordered obligations. So if you have fines and fees, and if you unfortunately have some jail or prison time as a result of your offense, you must meet them first before the provisions of this bill kick in. And uh, the bill basically says if you've met all those obligations, it's been 18 months since you've satisfied the court and you've been unable to pay your reinstatement fees to the BMV, then you will have an opportunity, and this isn't a, a, a pilot program, there'll be a six-month window that will be established, and you will be able to go in, and if you have multiple offenses, remember I said the average is three per, per suspended license, you will be able to pay the greater of 
10% of the aggregate or the least of the of the fines. And so what does that mean? You know, and some people say, well, if you can't afford to pay your reinstatement fee, how can you afford to pay car insurance? Well, sometimes these reinstatement fees are in the thousands of dollars. Well, we're going to have to so we're going to have to call it short on that. We're running out of time. Uh, okay. What what a mess with all those suspended drivers, though. So thanks for taking care, at least making some dent in that. We've been talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan, uh, giving us an update in Columbus. Dave, again, thank you much. Sure, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body, and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what is expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it is up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back. Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, in the next two segments, we're going to be talking something that uh, is quite timely. And uh, that is the relationship between uh, Russia and the United States, but in a different historical sense. We're going to be talking about spies during the Cold War, uh, communism and the spy network and what was going on and what government responsibilities were to, to catch the spies, or even to recognize they were being spied upon. Uh, to talk with us tonight about that is the author of a book called A Spy Named Orphan, and the author is Roland Phillips. Roland Phillips, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me on your show. And uh, where are you calling from? Uh, from London. 
London, where, England. Where Donald McLean um, came from, the subject of my book. Yes, um, let, let's brought up in London. Let, let's talk about that for a bit. Uh, first off, uh, for us not knowing who Donald McLean is, tell us who is Donald McLean in, in the history books. Donald McLean uh, was a, a starred diplomat um, in the British Foreign Service. Uh, he was born in 1913. He uh, was also a Russian agent. He was a member of the Cambridge spy ring. There were five of them. And McLean gave away the uh, great secrets of the beginning of the Cold War, the end of the Second World War, the beginning of the Cold War. Um, I think what he gave away affected the shape of the world, particularly Europe, in the 20th century, second half of the 20th century, and I would say continue to affect us today in, in many ways. Um, so he was a brilliant diplomat and an outstanding spy and um, was uh, a representative of a time when the West has never been as thoroughly penetrated by uh, Russia as it until today, I would suggest. You know, we, we, talk, about, we talk about the time frame that uh, Donald McLean was, was active in the Foreign Service. What years are we talking about? So he joined the Foreign Service in 1935 and uh, defected to the Soviet Union in 1951. And his most, uh, his most important uh, part work as a spy was when he was in the Washington Embassy, British Embassy in Washington, from 1944 to 1948. Uh, so he oversaw uh, the end of the war and leaked... Uh, to the Soviet Union, most particularly all the telegrams between uh, Prime Minister Churchill and President Roosevelt and later President Truman about the uh, negotiations they would be undertaking at Potsdam and Yalta, the two big conferences that uh, shaped Europe uh, after the Second World War. For example, um, uh, there's a telegram he leaked uh, which, in which Churchill and Roosevelt are discussing where they would like the borders of Poland to be, which was one of the subjects they had to um, negotiate with Stalin at Yalta. And, uh, and Churchill says, we would like them to be on such and such a line. But if Molotov, the Russian foreign minister, remains adamant, uh, we will move them 200 miles to the west. And guess what? Molotov uh, knew he had only had to remain adamant to get his way. So that's uh, 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 one of the many vital uh, things that McLean gave away from Washington. He gave away the NATO negotiations. He was um, the British civil servant in the Pentagon uh, during those top-secret negotiations about the formation of NATO. Uh, I think the most critical thing he gave away were atom secrets. He was one of only two British diplomats with a uh, seat on the combined policy committee that decided atom policy between Britain, Canada and the United States. And he was able to leak to Moscow exactly how many atom bombs the Americans were capable of building, which were far less than they were claiming. And as a result, I believe, gave Stalin the confidence to uh, uh, build his own atom bomb and launch it two years earlier than expected. So uh, so that was his most vital time, but he gave away a lot of material before and after as well. Now, how was it that you became interested in, in tracking down? What What is your background, and how did that lead into this? My background, my uh, working life is as a publisher and editor, and, uh, but McLean has always been in the background of my life in that uh, of my two grandfathers, one was a very distinguished diplomat um, called Roger Makins, who uh, was McLean's boss, in fact, in Washington on this Atom Committee. He was the, the other British diplomat with a seat on the committee. He thought very, very highly of McLean's work. And after McLean 
had to come back to London. Um, he had a alcoholic breakdown, which I'll talk about later. Um, my grandfather, who thought so highly of him, gave him a, uh, a high-ranking job. He made him head of the American Department in London just in time of the Korean War and um, was indeed the last diplomat to see him on British soil on the day McLean defected when he knew McLean was a spy by that time but had been told to act as normal so when McLean asked for the day off my grandfather gave it to him as normal because he wasn't he, he'd been told that McLean was being watched which indeed he was uh, there were there were reports of um, men from the Secret Service um, scurrying after him. McLean was an extremely tall man and the watchers tended to be rather short and therefore noticeable. Um, but what my grandfather wasn't told was that the watchers didn't work in the evenings and at weekends. So um, that was when McLean hmm. uh, chose the defect. Um, my other grandfather, like McLean, was a communist from uh, from the 1930s on and uh, re retained his communism, even in his case, he lived 10 years longer than McLean, uh, till, until after the Cold War. And, and so the other, as well as sort of first-hand knowledge through my diplomat grandfather, I was also pondering why, why would someone remain communists when they knew the horrors of Stalinism in particular. So it was those two factors were always there. And then the final key was that the, um, I was told that the uh, Secret Service papers about Donald McLean were going to be released into the National Archives in Britain. And uh, I took a gamble that they would tell a, a fascinating tale, and but I couldn't have dreamt how fascinating. The um, oh, by the way, we're talking to uh, author Roland Phillips uh, from London, England, who is the author of the book A Spy Named Orphan, uh, about the spy Donald McLean, uh, a Soviet spy uh, who was also highly ranked in the English government, British government. Uh, so again, Roland, thank you for joining us. Uh, questions that are raised uh, dur during the time. Uh, are the why questions. Uh, why, how long did it take to detect that uh, the spying was going on, and then how much time did it take to figure out it was McLean, such a high-ranking official? Well, well, that is the, the really extraordinary and often comic uh, part of the story. So I, 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 we have to go right back to the beginning um, of McLean's joining the Foreign Office in 1935, by which time he'd already been recruited uh, as a Soviet agent. And uh, he'd been a very outspoken communist at Cambridge. He'd been on marches, he'd written communist poetry and so on. But in those days, um, the whole British establishment was run on trust and a sort of old boy network, and it tended to be old boys and, and very rarely women. And that if you've been to the right school and uh, the right university, uh, you were bound, and your parents were the right sort of people, you were bound to be trusted. So to the extent that when McLean was asked in his Foreign Office interview, uh, one of the interviewers said, we note you are a communist at university, are you still very left-wing, Mr. McLean? He was able to answer, I'm working on it. And um, that was sufficient. And that that and that bought that bought him time on that. Uh, a short break here, uh, but we're talking to Roland Phillips, the uh, author of A Spy Named Orphan. It's uh, very timely considering what the relationship between the United States and Russia is today. We're going to uh, take a short break. We'll be back after these words again to rejoin Roland Phillips talking about uh, the spies during the Cold War. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. We'll be right back.
more than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I, at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Hello, Mark Bush for GreaterThanHeroin.com. Our nation, our state, our county, and our local communities are in the midst of this crisis. It saddens us at Bush. We see firsthand the final outcome impacting families when overdose deaths occur. GreaterThanHeroin.com is a resource for everyone. Join us in our efforts. Email feedback at greaterthanheroin.com to help us defeat this crisis. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, listening to Roland Phillips, who is an author who has written a book called The Spy Named Orphan, uh, a nonfiction book about the Cold War spies in Great Britain. Uh, Roland, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, in the last segment, we were talking about the, uh, the spy, the high-ranking spy in the British government, uh, Donald McLean and uh, how he was a known communist uh, before he was actually put into the foreign office. Uh, uh, tell us about how that kind of thing can happen with regard to vetting uh, foreign officers and that kind of thing. Well, there was no vetting um, at all until, until McLean defected to Russia in 1951, and the foreign office was so appalled that uh, one of their own uh, could be a traitor, but that was when they started positive vetting. And indeed, that was why it took so long to identify the spy. How this happened, it was an American operation uh, undertaken by a, a brilliant uh, man called Meredith Gardner, uh, who set up a uh, decoding operation in a girls' school, in former girls' school in Virginia. It was a forerunner of the National Security Agency. And he was faced with uh, hundreds of thousands of telegram copies of telegrams in code that had gone to uh, Moscow from the United States during the war. They had to lodge copies of everything going. Uh, and they were thought to be uncrackable under the one-time PAD code system. Mm -hmm. But he realized that on a few occasions, the PADs had been used more than once and set about with primitive computing and his own great genius to untangle these. So they realized in 1947 that there had been a spy in the British Embassy in Washington, but the reaction from the Foreign Office, which, as I say, ran on trust and the old school network, was, and this is on paper, it won't be a senior man. We must look at anyone, any secretaries who had a nervous breakdown around that time. So they, they spent three nearly four years consistently not looking at McLean because he was such an able diplomat um, and a brilliant high flyer in the Foreign Office. They, they would never have believed it was him. And so they spent 
years with the um, uh, Meredith Gardner and, and his setup in, in Virginia producing more and more telegrams, which is how we know that McLean gave away the Yalta Conference and the Atomic Secrets, and um, clearly coming from the Foreign Office. And they kept looking at junior people, anyone who might have snuck into the registry and looked at it. And even when they'd narrowed the list down to uh, three or four names in 1950 and early, late 1950, early 1951, by which time McLean was back at work after this terrible breakdown he'd mm -hmm. had, which mm -hmm. never got onto his file. It was a, it was a alcoholic collapse that culminated in him trashing the American ambassador's secretary's mm -hmm. flat in Cairo um, and being sent home for a nervous breakdown, but they never got to hear about the, the drinking. And um, so they consistently refused to believe it was McLean until in mid-1951, uh, they decoded a tiny fragment which said that um, Homer, which was his code name to Moscow, will be visiting Tyre, which is what they called New York, uh, frequently while his wife is awaiting confinement. And it was only, and then they worked out whose wife was pregnant at that time, uh -huh. and it could only have been McLean. Even at that point, a lot of the uh, senior diplomats said we simply don't believe this, it must be someone else. So it was, it, because he was so plausible, he came from the right um, sort of people, had been to the right university, they simply failed to spot him, and it took years and years to 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 realize it was him. And all the damage uh, was done. Well, uh, you know, they say history repeats itself, unfortunately, many times. Uh, the Soviet Union's gone, but we have the Russian Federation, and uh, if you can comment about what do you think about what's going on today with uh, regard to the United States and, and Russia and Trump and Putin? Uh, is there still spying going on, obviously? There, there is uh, obviously a lot of spying going on. I suspect it's uh, more done um, by cyber means, digital means, hacking. I think that's... Uh, as we saw during both the Brexit referendum in this country and, and your last presidential election, uh, there's a lot that can be done um, by getting into people's social media accounts and so on. Um, and um, but there's definitely there's a there's I have the feeling that now it's it's similar to the 50s and 60s and those early terrifying days of the Cold War that the Russian penetration of, of our top institutions um, on both sides of the Atlantic has, has never been, uh, hasn't been this extreme since then. And I think uh, the, um, I thought, thought the press conference between um, your president and, and uh, the Russian leader was, was a simply extraordinary um, acknowledgement of, of, of of ties that um, that shouldn't exist when um, the Russians are trying to poison um, people in Salisbury, England, as they did recently, and, and an innocent bystander died last week, having picked up the Novichok file, we think. And uh, I think relations are very, very dodgy at the moment. And, and you wonder, even though we don't have the Soviets or the, uh, the official communist government, we still seem to have this interest uh, in the Russians uh, looking at the West, uh, like the UK and the NATO countries and the United States and, and so forth, that uh, what yeah. what is it's not ideological as much as maybe economic, or what do you think? I think it's these days economic, and I think it's in the it's in the Russian interest to cause as much disruption as possible. And um, they, yes, I mean, Russia is uh, is, is largely um, capital. I mean, it's a, the, the money is in the hands of the very few. But I think the Russian desire to disrupt, uh, particularly the United States, and become the, the only superpower, as it were, is, is as strong as it ever was. Well, uh, just looking at what seems to be the target, 
advocates, it looks like you mentioned it, uh, maybe to destroy Western unity wherever it exists seems to be the targeting. Exactly. And uh, I think we replaced, from from the 1950s with spying, we replaced uh, telegrams, which seem to be the emails of the day, with emails, which are the emails of the day. Yes, absolutely. And, and it, uh, it's much easier. You don't have to go through all the business of of dead drops and taking photographs and things if you can hack into people's computers another way. Do you and, think? Uh, and I don't think McLean, um, uh, McLean would have found life much easier these days. He, he actually loathed the business of spying. He said it's like being a laboratory attendant. It's a dirty business, but somebody has to do it. And I think he would find it much easier just to send on send on the emails of any negotiations in the Foreign Office and, and the State Department. Wasn't that a big disconnect for McLean, though, when he came up and was raised with the right schools, with the right people, and uh, he was he was bred uh, with the idea of trust and loyalty? Uh, how did he feel for being so secretive and being so treasonous yes. at the same time? Well, uh, he, um, he did... He, he, he was brought up in a very religious house, and his father said, you have to follow your conscience, so that was drilled into him. And when he was at Cambridge, it was Hitler was on the rise in, in uh, Europe, and Mussolini was very much in place. And there were horror stories coming back about fascism. It was the build-up to the Spanish Civil War and that great armed conflict between communism and fascism. And for most right-thinking, um, intelligent British people, in a choice between communism and fascism, you would choose communism. Well. I think the um, disconnect comes in after the Nazi-Soviet pact of 1939 that, that precipitated the war. Oh, my. We're going to... I'm going to have to interrupt because... People about the horrors of Stalinism. You know, Ro- Roland, I think McCain I, had such an ideological view of communism as being the only route to world peace. He was able to discount the, um, the terrible sides of communism. Well, with, with that, Roland, I think we're going to have to uh, end our, our talk today, but it's been a delight talking to you. Thank you. The book is called A Spy Named Orphan by Roland Phillips. And um, it's, it's sort of recent history, but it's uh, very relevant today. Uh, Roland, thank you for joining us. I've enjoyed talking to you very much indeed. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea Nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company The preceding program's views, claims, or representation Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.